0: Welcome back to A New World of Wealth, the podcast where we bring together financial and industry experts to discuss the challenges facing business owners in Canada and share advice on how to get more from your money. I'm Jay Gangness, founder of Ocean6, and I've got Jackie, Jasmine, and Dave here. Today, we're going to be talking about the common questions we get from our clients about investing and how to best structure your investment accounts and get the most out of your money. Let's start off with a few questions that are most relevant today as we're dealing with current environment with coronavirus and what's going on in the world. How should we manage our investments during a pandemic? Is there such a thing as the ideal portfolio? Jasmine, maybe we can start with you on this one.
1: Thanks, Jay. During times of uncertainty, we really are managing emotions more than anything. And when markets are volatile, it's hard to see our hard-earned money drop in value. But really, investing process is key, no matter if it's pandemic or not. So you set a goal, you come up with a strategy based on your time horizon, and you stick with it through good or bad. Of course, you adjust and rebalance, take advantage of opportunities, especially times like this during uncertainty. It's probably better to do less than more. So... Key, um, you need to avoid selling just because you're freaking out that it's the end of the world. The biggest mistake people are making during times of volatility and you know probably during the pandemic is you're selling low and you're missing out on the upside that will inevitably happen. Mind you this is easier said than done. Being patient is hard and seeing your portfolio go through these ups and downs really causes anxiety I would say if you can do it on your own, do seek help of a financial advisor that you trust, one that you can have a candid conversation with. Um, so, you know, is there an ideal portfolio? An ideal portfolio is always one that's designated specifically for you. So, designated in such a way that you can tolerate these ups and downs and you can stay invested for the long term. That's really always the goal is to keep you invested.
0: So one analogy that comes up for me is that investing is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, yep. the smaller it gets. So some people out there have shifted their portfolios a lot more to cash because of that fear of what's going on in the world. But a lot of time that happens on a reactive basis, like you were mentioning, Jasmine, kind of that fear that the market is not done with the correction and there's another drop in the horizon. What What is the recommendation here? Should people invest in the market now or... Do you recommend sticking with cash and holding off until things uh, get, quote unquote, better? Uh, Maybe, Jackie, you can chat a little bit about that. Yeah, so this kind of echoes what uh,
2: Jasmine was saying earlier. If those who are listening may have sold already and have moved to cash, uh, what should you do with that cash now? Or those people who have been sitting on cash for many years, what should they do now? And I think the number one thing uh, that to note is kind of, again, what Jasmine was saying, you need to first figure out what your ideal portfolio looks like, as in you have to look at the risk, you have to understand what your tolerant levels are, and how long your horizons are. I think one of the key thing for most people to consider is how long they have with their investments. If you don't have a time frame without a goal in mind, you're not going to know whether or not to be more conservative or take advantage of the market. Now, if you ask me as a, as a young person, definitely seeing where we are today in the market is an opportune time for us to move some of that cash to work. So I am a believer that we should be putting our cash to work. And there's no such thing as buying too early or buying too late, because usually if you have a longer time horizon, you're not cashing out the next year. You're going to be catching multiple gains throughout the years before you retire. So- moving money into market uh, from cash, I think is a good idea. If you know, your horizon is a long one.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think that historically, we look at if you take those best two, three days of the year and the worst two, three days of the year out of the market, it actually has a massive impact if you miss those two days and predicting which of those two days are is very, very difficult. And a lot of the times when we look at it, we can gauge whether it's time to be a little bit more aggressive or time to be a little bit more passive as opposed to trying to time the market and jumping in and out. it never works and there's time and time again that it's been proven that missing those couple of days is very, very difficult so absolutely stay invested and make sure that you're you're comfortable with where your portfolio is and where you're going and make sure it's allocated to your long term goals. I think that's really the key here so let's let's keep this going a little bit. Um, is there such a thing as the best investment out there? Is there one simple investment that's just, let's put everything in there. Cause that's the best option.
2: I was discussing this with a client before about this, cause there's definitely more financial products out there now more than ever. There's ETFs, mutual funds, hedge funds, stocks, bonds, the list goes on and on and on. And so it's easy to get wrapped up in all of that and hunt for the best investment. Again, best investment to me sounds like trendy words. Like there is no such thing as best investment. I think all of them has its purpose and has their strengths. So knowing what your risk tolerance is, your long-term horizon, then you start to pick and drill down on what products will suit those needs rather than finding a one holy grail of an investment and dumping all your money in. Like a couple of years ago, everybody said, Bitcoin's a thing. You need to buy all Bitcoins because it's the safest currency out there. And look at where Bitcoin is now, right? There's still a huge amount of volatility in, in that. So that's just a very uh, one topic that we can talk about. But it, there's so many in the history, like ETFs, when it first launched, had all this buzz. Everybody thinks it's the best thing in the world, but people can still lose money in those things. So there is no such thing as best that has no downsides. Everything has its ups and downs. Everything has its risk. You just get to Get educated on what those risks are and what you're comfortable managing. And if you're doing it yourself, and if you're working with an advisor, then they should be helping you identify those opportunities with you to discuss the pros and the cons
0: of each product. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, looking at that, you look back in time and hindsight's 2020, right? It's very easy to say, hey, we should have done this. We should have done that we should have sold everything to cash in February and moved everything to blue chip equity in March 18th. Uh, I mean, it's an impossible task and really picking those highs and lows. Even looking at individual stocks, there, there's always those amazing wins like your apples and, and your Amazon. And, you know, but for every one of those particular uh, investments, there's also hundreds that do not perform like that, that aren't aren't talked about. So really important to have that diversified portfolio, be comfortable with your risk and spread things out in such a way that you're going to reach your goals. How about real estate? Let's talk a little bit about real estate. I know a lot of people that, that come to us and that, you know, they, they want to know whether they should invest in the market. Should they invest in real estate? Should they invest in both? And maybe Dave, you can talk about, you know, real estate investing and kind of pros and cons of that and, and our recommendation on it.
3: Sure. And um, to begin, I'm by no means a real estate expert. So I will just say I won't be speaking on what kinds of properties or where to buy. But I will say that investing in real estate, you can have a big advantage in the fact that you've got a leverage investment. So, for example, if you invest $200,000, $5 million property, 20% on that property is essentially doubled your money, less, of course, any money that you put towards the mortgage. That being said, over throughout history, rather. Uh, the stock market has outperformed real estate. So it kind of comes down to what are you, if, if we've come across a lot of clients who are really interested in real estate and if that's their thing, we'll always encourage them to follow that route. Behind that though, we will also say to have a balance between the two.
0: I, I definitely agree. And somebody that that has real estate, myself, I own a couple properties. The one thing that is really important is that you are borrowing with real estate. So it's a leverage investment. So, you know, you're buying a property that's a million bucks, as Dave was saying, you only putting down $200,000, that down payment, and then you're borrowing the other 800,000. So if the property goes up 10%, then you've actually got a 50% return on your $200,000 investment. The property goes down, then you go down 50% of your original investment. And the one thing I find fascinating about real estate is it's very easy to lie to ourselves about what the value of that real estate is worth because we don't get a statement like we do in our investment portfolios that says the value. And it's easy to say, well, it doesn't matter what the value is because I'm not selling it. And it's the emotional side of the investment world that has the impact on portfolios back to the bar of soap. The more we touch it, the smaller it gets with real estate. We're not buying and selling every day with the stock market. Oftentimes we are. So if we stay invested, stay the course, much like Jasmine and Jackie have been talking about, Really, really important to look at that long term rather than seeing the portfolio getting scared and trying to make tactical shifts immediately and reactively. One more thing I do want to add, real estate is a not a passive investment. You are now a landlord, so you're buying a property, the roof leaks, you got to fix it. Really important piece. You are creating a bit of a job for yourself. Um, let's move on a little bit here. Uh, one of the questions I'm sure everybody is, is asking their advisor, I hope everybody is asking their advisor something that we see a lot of commercials now with these low fee advisors. But uh, let's talk about fees. So fees are a really, really important thing. We as financial advisors at Ocean Six are very, very passionate about the transparency of the role of the financial advisor. And fees are significant part of that transparency. But also what is the role? There's so many advisors out there that are positioning themselves as a financial advisor that only get paid if a product is sold on a commission basis and the disclosure of those fees is not there. So maybe we can talk about the impact of fees, what they are, are they really that bad? And one thing that I really think about when it comes to fees is everything is expensive at the absence of value. It's the value you get, not the price you pay. So if you're paying fees and it's not valuable, it's too expensive. If you're paying an insanely high fee but you're getting a ton of value, then that's not so bad. So Dave, maybe you can touch a little bit about the fee-based world and and what your thoughts are on it.
3: Sure, it sounds good, Jane. I think you already touched upon a couple of the key points there. And Number one, I think, is transparency. So knowing what you're paying for, where's your money going? There's nothing wrong with paying a fee, but you should know a, what that fee is, and B, where it's going. And then uh, you mentioned value there as well. So you want to know, Are you is the fee that you're paying, is it worth what you're paying for? So one of the products out there that gets uh, scrutinized for high fees quite often is our mutual funds. And the thing with mutual funds is there's about 80 to 85% of mutual funds out there don't outperform their benchmark, meaning that you're paying a fee to someone to try to beat what that mutual fund's put up against to try to outperform. So 80, 85% of those don't outperform So if you are in one of the, the funds that does outperform that, you want to make sure that the fund you're paying is justified and your return on that is better than the benchmark. Another aspect about mutual funds in particular is that there's different ways to look at it. There's You want to know out of that fee that you're paying, where is your money going? Is it going to your advisor? Is it going to the fund manager? So it's not always transparent as to what portion of it is going where. So if you do end up going into mutual funds, look for something called F series funds, which you'll know that that entire portion of that fee is going to the fund. And then your advisor will charge a fee on top of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that back to that transparency and and Dave, you, you talk about F series, which is fee based, which means that you are very clear about that fee that you are paying and it's transparent on your account. So you know exactly what you're paying And I think that the important part of knowing what you're paying for is also what are you getting? So what is the net result of that fee? Are you getting a portion of advice? Are you getting um, a number that beats the market? So it's not so much the fee you're paying, it's what is the value you're getting on it? And with Ocean Six, something that again, we're very, very passionate about, we separate the planning from the advice because a lot of times what happens out there is there's underlying fees with an expectation that I'm gonna get tax planning, I'm gonna get financial planning, I'm gonna get retirement planning. I'm going to get cash flow planning. And a lot of times those things aren't done, but the portfolio is also underperforming in relevance to the market. So really, really getting clear. What am I getting? What am I getting for this 1%, 1 1.2%, whatever that number is. Are you just getting a promise that we're going to do our best to invest your money? Are you getting a significant amount of additional advice and clarity about your financial future. So at ocean six, we separated it. We have lower fees than you're going to see pretty much across the board, but we're also going to charge for the advice because we feel that the, the value is really in that advice. Robo advisors do not give advice. And that's where there's a gap in the transparency of the industry.
2: With the recent years of uh, exposure about fees um, and being high on the bank side, on the mutual fund side, the, the bad rep that's surrounding it is, is exactly what we, we all kind of just touched on is the lack of value and advice, right? A lot of times clients walk in there with an expectation that they're going to get Handheld they think that once they invest money with a quote unquote advisor that this person will take care of everything for them, including hey if i 've got a tax question you 're going to help me answer that if if I got a mortgage question you 're going to start to answer that and that 's just not true and when expectations are not met then there's a disconnect between the advisor and and the client so having a, this new world of transparency and this idea of separating uh, the advice and the fees and the performance on investment really gives clients the clarity to say, okay, this fee that I'm paying is meant f- for money management, and it's going to help me rebalance, do, do different things inside the actual portfolio. Whereas the fee for advice and the, and the planning piece, we get to ask questions like, uh, is this the best tax strategy for us? Is this aligned with the retirement plans that we want? Those are the things that people should be actually seeking more help on uh, because there's a lot of great investment products out there that require very little management now that can beat or match the benchmarks. So I'm, I'm a big believer that you, you should keep your investment strategy simple, but you should keep your planning active so that you know that, that the investments match your long-term goals.
0: Yeah, Jackie, that's such great advice. And I think that, you know, we look back at our blueprint and we have clients that we've saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes Mm -hmm. with simple tweaks of cash flow, restructuring debt, utilizing effective strategies, and accomplishing goals much, much quicker. And that's really what it's all about. It's building your life that you're proud of that you want. It's not hey, move all your money over here, we'll get you an extra 1%. That doesn't really change anything. And oftentimes it doesn't happen. Getting clear about ultimately what you're trying to accomplish and planning towards that and getting there at a much quicker time frame and being organized and being proud of where you're at and where you're going. That's something that is a totally different level of planning that oftentimes is missed in in the industry. So moving along... Let's talk a little bit about investment risk tolerance. I think that that's something that is very common that we see when people open accounts. Uh, You you know, you go to the bank oftentimes and what happens? They say, what is your risk tolerance? You fill out a questionnaire and they put you in a portfolio of funds that matches your risk tolerance. So maybe we can talk a little about what is a risk profile? Why is it important and what role does it play? Um, uh, Jasmine, how about you? Can you chat a little bit about that?
1: Yes, it's a tool. Uh, It's a tool that we use in our industry. So in the investment industry, you know, the goal is to get to know you. Um, And it's also a regulatory requirement for us to prove to our regulators that we did try to get to know you. And it's important because you're unique and so is your risk profile. And every good advisor needs to understand the side of you really well. So risk means how well you tolerate losses something that you might actually not know well about yourself either. So we try to sit down and, you know, use the risk profile, basically like a series of questions, risk questionnaire that asks serious questions. They're not always the best, but we go with it. And it's just really a starting tool for understanding risk and starting the conversation around you and how well you are going to tolerate your portfolio going up and down and you know each investor is unique and your willingness and ability to withstand risk is different really the more risk you take the higher return you get That's sort of this risk premium so we you know yes everybody wants to get the highest return but you also have to have the willingness to to handle these ups and downs and possible losses that will happen That's sort of this fundamental idea in in finance
0: yeah absolutely and i think one thing i'll add to that is that the the risk profile is the bare bones base level of knowing where your clients are going and i think it's required that a much much deeper dive into exactly what those goals yeah. are and if we need 3% or 4% to get there why are we taking on a risk that might lose 30 like that's happened and we've seen it with a lot of clients that have moved money over over the past 3 months here they've said well i wasn't comfortable losing 30% of my portfolio because i've got a million bucks and i want to retire in Six months, and that risk profile wasn't done effectively. And knowing the client's goals and objectives was not done effectively. So now, what's happened? Back to that emotional state. There's been a reaction. They've gone under the market and missed out on a lot of that recovery. And uh, you know, it's something that that we hate to see. But it's really about getting clear on where you're going and what you're trying to do. And if your advisors out there are not doing that. I would call them and, and, and ask those questions, you know, why this money is important to me. And uh, each account can be different. There's so many different levels of it, too. So a basic risk profile. And if that's been done at the bank and nothing more, I would dive in significantly more and see ultimately what are we trying to accomplish here?
2: Yeah. And I was just going to comment, like most risk profile that I've seen done um, at the banks are not accurate because these questions are asked when the market was going up. So behaviorally, people are going to be willing to take more risk when they can see 16, 18% rate of return on the market. They're like, yeah, put me all into equities and stocks. Why not? I'm, I'm going to make a killing here. If you redo these risk profile right now with the clients, after what they have gone through in the last two months, they will give you a significantly different answer So the idea here is that risk profiles do change. Like you need to be on top of why uh, you're investing uh, and your goals change. So this is another sort of a reminder that financial planning isn't set in stone. They need to be reviewed. They need to be uh, adjusted to incorporate your new lifestyle. And so if market changes is a great time for you to reassess what you have and have another conversation with your planner if you have one to really say, are these still in line with my future goals? So I think risk profile is, is not stagnant. It's evolving just like our lives are. Uh, So it needs to be adjusted and and reassessed every time you sit in with a, a planner.
0: That's such great advice, Jackie. And I think that it's all important to make sure that you're clear on that on an ongoing basis you know, for us, we get so clear on those client goals, we have a a scorecard that we fill out to step one, we have a six page intake form, you know, the the actual risk tolerance is just one piece from a compliance standpoint. But Mm -hmm. there's such such a deeper dive that is required to get clear on what are you ultimately trying to accomplish, you know, and cash flow plays a huge part in that. Where is your money going? Is it going towards the things that, that you're passionate about? Is it going towards things that are sparking joy in your life and that you're loving and that you're excited about and and making sure that your investment accounts are on point with all of those things and you can really get there if you're organized effectively those two points if if you leave this with nothing else so so important so i encourage everybody check your fees how much are you paying in fees check your risk profile is your investment account allocated effectively towards accomplishing your goals never mind just how much risk are you comfortable taking on in the account are they on point to actually get you to where you're trying to go a couple more things I actually think we should probably touch on, but why don't we look a little bit about retirement? Uh, a lot of investment accounts are based on building an effective retirement strategy and, and accomplishing retirement at a specific age. One of the most common questions we get, how much money do you actually need to retire? Uh, Dave, why don't, why don't you cover this one? With so many financial plans that come across our table, is there a magic formula here or is there a set number that you see or is there a little bit more
3: to it? There's absolutely no set formula. I think it comes down to um, actually one of the best financial advisors I've ever worked with always says, do you want to live off of cat food or caviar uh, during retirement? So that's going to depend on how much money you you need during retirement. Traditionally, you always hear the number 70%. And I'm not quite sure where that number came from. I don't know if people just assume that during retirement, you're going to do two thirds of what you did in your previous life, but it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think it comes down to to setting your goals before retirement, figuring out how much money you're going, you're going to need what you want to do. I mean, are you going to Netflix and chill for 30 years? You might be able to survive off $1,500 a month. If you want to travel the world, it could be $15,000 a week. So there really isn't a perfect answer here. It really comes down to the goals. And, and you need to take some some time and, and a deep dive in thinking about what you want over that, that portion of your life because people are living longer. And some people are retiring at 55, 60. You might be looking at 40 years. So so plan properly. Uh, plan ahead of time. Start as soon as you can. Uh, work that out with your advisor.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. I think that um, you know the industry norm of seventy percent is so incredibly backwards. And getting clear on your cash flow first is ultimately the most important piece of retirement. So, so Dave, thanks for that. I think it's really, really important. All right, back to back to that corporate structure, and I think something that we get a lot of from clients. Talking about TFSAs, TFSAs are finally becoming relevant. TFSA is a tax-free savings account that allows you to put money into a personal account and grow totally tax-free. It started off quite slow with just $5,500 and has grown now. The, the maximum amount, if you have full contribution, is $69,500. So any tips to our listeners about making a decision around, should I leave the money in my corp or should I pull that money out and put it a TFSA? It's tax-free. Isn't that an amazing opportunity? Maybe Jackie, uh, you, can, you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of
2: people are uh, caught up for uh, doing these accounts for the wrong reasons, I should say. You know, they, they focus a lot, the words on tax-free and they think that it's gonna be the best tool for them because it's tax-free. Nobody wants to pay more taxes. Uh, but ultimately with business owners, I think you have more control of your taxes than you think and you, you forget that the net cost of putting the money in So right now this year, the limits are now like about $6,000 a year. So if in order to take $6,000 out of your corporation and put it into your TFSA, you first have to gross that $6,000 up, including your personal taxes into it. So if you have a high income tax, you might be paying 30, 40% on it. Uh, even if you're paying dividends and and taking dividends out of your corporation, you're still paying approximately 20 ish percent on that money before you can even put it into your TFSA. So it's not just $6,000 that you're taking out of the corporation. It's the $6,000 plus the gross of your taxes, uh, Uh, from your corporation in order to invest in your TFSA. So, you know, what it comes down to really is what is my net cost? What is my tax rate? How much do I need to pull out in order to even invest in my tax-free savings account? And then to kind of like the opposite end of that is a lot of business owners also forget that they have some tax-free dollars that they can withdraw out of the corporation. So if they have uh, something like the capital dividend account and there's a balance on it, you might be able to take out uh, tax free dollars out of your corporation and invest in your TFSA. Then that's a really smart idea to do so. Or if you've sold a a personal real estate and you've got some capital from that uh, sale and you want to incorporate that into your TFSA, those are fantastic reasons to do it. I probably would urge our clients not to take out extra money from their corporation if they don't need to and pay extra taxes to the CRA before putting into your TFSA. I think that's just something that uh, people forget a lot of times. They focus so much on achieving the maximizing of their TFSA and get, getting to the top contribution dollars, but forget the c- actual cost in doing so. Maybe a bigger tax bill that they have to front, they didn't uh, include in their calculation.
1: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And what about uh, RSP, a Re- registered retirement savings plan, Jackie? I mean, if you took money out of your corporation and put it into the R- RSP, would that negate my taxes, and and therefore, I would have my retirement savings be tax free coming coming out of my corporation?
2: Yeah, and and I think we had this discussion that Ocean a lot is you know traditionally, uh, RSPs are designed for when you were working, you have a high tax bracket, and then when you retire, you have a much lower tax bracket so that you can take advantage of the tax system. But with business owners, that's just not true. Like our again our retirement landscape are changing. By the time we retire, business owners might be making more money than they were before because of all this passive income and, and uh, all this other great stuff that they have set up. So unless you are certain that you are paying the highest amount of taxes today and that in, in your retirement years, you're gonna pay the least amount of taxes in your lifetime, that's the only reason why anyone should really be using RSP. So as, again, this is a very unique situation for business owners and corporate professionals. We have a choice. Take as much or as little money we need out of the corporation. And so our, our personal tax rates are much more in our hands. But as business owners, we have other options inside the corporation and we don't necessarily need to use this uh, particular vehicle, this option of RSP, to try and get some tax-free dollars out because there's much smarter ways to doing that uh, inside the corporation. Um, I I think we'll be addressing uh, later on in in different episodes, or we can dive into it um, a little bit more in the future.
1: I'll touch base. Uh, If you have a corporation, you have a choice, right? You can leave money in your corporation and you shouldn't just leave it in cash. You You know, you should invest it in your corporation. So I'll just touch, touch on, you know, what are some tools available for our listeners? What's sort of the best way to invest money inside a corporation? And really what we want to make sure that your portfolio is always structured in the most tax efficient way. And so a corporation, you are, you have to pay taxes every single year and there's four different income streams. So you can have a capital, you know, capital gains. So if you invest a thousand and you know, it goes to 1200 where that $200 is your gain. So capital gains, Canadian dividends, uh, interest and foreign dividends. Now foreign dividends and interest are taxed your marginal tax rate so we try to avoid those in a corporation. In an ideal world you would just have capital gain in a corporate account because half of, half of the gain is tax-free and, and only half of it goes in income. So some of the tools that we use to try to achieve that is corporate class mutual funds for example that are structured in a way that really every single year, mostly capital gains, some Canadian dividends are realized. Um, mutual funds are great because you can achieve this diversification. Um, but really, if we can find a vehicle that can achieve, uh, that can just you'd be taxing those capital gains every year, it's also extremely tax efficient. One of the other tools that you know, we see out there is the total, ret- uh, total return ETFs. a little bit more knowledgeable investors those are some of the vehicles that also don't realize you can defer some of the capital gains to uh, a further or time into in the future so really i mean i always say first focus on your risk tolerance um, but really tax. if you can be tax efficient that's going to add so much value the net after tax return is what a portfolio should really be focused on Um, And it's a really important conversation around structuring your portfolio that you need to have with your advisor. What's my net after-tax return? So making sure that it's structured in a way that's super tax efficient and having those interest and foreign dividends, preferably in registered assets and capital gains and Canadian dividends in your uh, corporate uh, investment account.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that just getting clear on that retirement structure and allocating money effectively Rather than the old school way of thinking of, you know, let's have a pension and then RSP is my only retirement vehicle. The corporation is such a valuable tax haven and such a valuable tool to utilize to grow money in an efficient way, fund, for you, fund your retirement in an efficient way, and just plan all of those different accounts in the most effective tax structure. Um, you know, very, very easy for us to mingle our corporate and per- personal finances. And, and that's really where a lot of that uncertainty lies with taxes. We find so many people pull money out of their corp and then end up with a big tax bill at the end of the year. But without having clarity on those goals and a future, we cannot take advantage of some of those amazing tax benefits of owning a corporation. So, you know, as I was saying, just organize that, that long-term plan, get clear on your goals. And time after time, our clients are excited to have gone through the blueprint process with us because it gives them that. It gives them that clarity. It gives them that confidence. It gives them that organizational structure and makes sure that they're not paying too much tax. It adds so much more value that an additional half a percent or one percent can't necessarily guarantee. So really important to have that in place and just creating those winning habits with their money and having the foundation that they need to stay confident about your, your financial future. So thank you again for tuning in, everybody. We hope that you got some value from the discussion. Thank you all for all your input. Really valuable. If you enjoyed listening, please hit subscribe and make sure to tell all your friends and family and have an amazing week.